check, check. Mic levels sounding pretty good. Check, check, check. Filling my coffee to the brim. Check, check, check. Looking at my Audacity screen and understanding very little of it. I just click on a red circle and start talking. But the amount of things on this program I don't understand. Hey, Arnold, give me the audio track 44100HZ with a 32-bit float. Uh Uh-huh. And give me the end length of about 23.42. Yeah, my projected rate right now is the HC44100. And snap it off at the 1.2 mark. Uh-huh. Yeah, just a compressor mode's fine. It's, it's fine at this point. Yes, I'm going solo, but we got the Yeti commanding the speakers right now. So let's just loop it down to the 0.6. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And no, the feedback's fine. Okay. All right, thanks, bud. My new producer, doing well. Found him on Indeed.com. That last bit and that last riff is brought to you by Indeed. Go there to find work. That's the pattern of every tagline. You give me any business, the slogan should sound like that. All right, how you doing? How are you? Let's check in. Let's make this a good one. All right, not just another one, not just, oh, it's another one, another episode. I guess I'm a subscriber, so I'll listen to this bullshit. No, 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 no. Let's make this a good one. Let's start with a story. Yeah, let's start with a story of a Chinese farmer. And then let's relate that to all of our lives and the entire world. I forget if I've already read this. Is this a proverb which raises the question, what's a proverb again? Okay, a farmer and his son. Had a beloved horse who helped the family earn a living. One day the horse ran away and the neighbors exclaimed, Oh no, your horse ran away. What terrible luck. And the farmer said, Maybe so, maybe not. A few days later, the horse returns home, leading a few more wild horses back to the farm. The neighbors said, Your horse has returned and he brought back several horses with him. What great luck. The farmer says, Maybe so, maybe not. Later that week, the farmer's son was trying to break one of those horses, and she threw him to the ground, breaking his leg. The neighbors cried, your son broke the leg. What terrible luck. The farmer replied, maybe so, maybe not. A few weeks later, soldiers from the National Army marched through town, recruiting all the boys for the army. They did not take the farmer's son because he had a broken leg. The neighbors shouted, your boy is spared. What tremendous luck. To which the farmer replied, maybe so, maybe not. We'll see. And the moral of the story is it's totally impossible to see if anything that is happening to us in the moment is good or bad. It's impossible. I know we've experienced a lot of moments where we say that, that felt bad. That didn't feel good. Maybe you got fired at your job. That hurt, right? That stung a little bit. And then maybe it opened the door to another professional path that you were forced into, but perhaps enjoy even more. Maybe you got dumped. Maybe that beautiful girl when you were younger dumped you, ripped your heart out of your sternum. And you look back and you go, yeah, she wasn't that great. Not a great match for me at least. And you found the one, didn't you? You found your soulmate. Maybe you were auditioning for a play and you didn't get the part. And uh, yeah, there's nothing good about that. You could have been the best actor, right? You could have been the best. That's what you told yourself. But no, 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 no. It turns out. That the moment you were told you're not going to be in this production, you're not going to be in this play, your audition wasn't what the director wanted, then that caused you to discover a new hobby, a new skill. I don't know. The point is we could always just say maybe whenever there's a setback, maybe anything that plagues you right now, 
you will look back on this in a few years and say, yeah, that was a low point, but at least it became this. At least it transitioned into this, and that feels good now. So we're all just in one big fluid maze. We're all just in a maze. Where are we going? Where are we going? We got to the end. Now we got to turn in another direction. We got to the end of that. Now we got to turn in another direction, another direction, another direction, another direction, another direction. Wait, that's Beastie Boys. Another. What are they actually saying, though? Not another direction. Another dimension. Another dimension intergalactic. God, it was stored in one of my brain creases. Another dimension. Another dimension. Another dimension. Another dimension. By the way, speaking of the Beastie Boys, I see kids, I see teens wearing these shirts, these shirts from Kohl's or the internet, with all these logos of bands or movies or shows that someone my age would like, and I'm always trying to engage the conversation. Hey, Beastie Boys, huh? These teens don't know what they're wearing. They're still at the age where their parents are buying their clothes, and their parents are from my era. So the parents are out there buying the Boys in the Hood sweatshirt, the Nirvana shirt, the DMX shirt, the Smashing Pumpkins, the Pearl Jam shirt, the Golden Girls shirt from Kohl's. We've all seen that yellow one. And the kids are wearing these all over the place. And Mr. Rosenberg's saying, hey, you into Nirvana? What's your favorite album? They don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Not good for conversation. To put these teens into all those clothes on the racks at Marshalls and Ross and Old Navy... Classic retro vintage tees, sweatshirts of movies we haven't seen, bands that we really don't know much about, hip-hop artists that we're confused about, but we wear them in your class, and you start conversations with us, and we give you a blank look, and the conversation ends, and Mr. Rosenberg's wondering, why are you wearing a Beastie Boys shirt? Another dimension, another dimension, another dimension indeed. What issues? I'll ask you right now, what issues are worth resolving? in your world and then what issues just need to be overlooked and accepted and just say "Ah, i'm not expending any more mental energy in that direction some things are worth the headache i think some things are worth the headache but the list kind of shrinks as we get older right as i get older the list of things that i really want to consume me or i will allow consume me it just shrinks a little bit what matters your kids your health I mean, there's probably a longer list, but don't things shrink? Like if I read a list of things that I was so into when I was 14 versus a list of things that I'm so into right now. And I mean things that I'm so into where they will affect my mood. It's a shorter list. I think. Even 10 years ago. Who are you in the workplace 10 years ago? And who are you in the workplace today? 10 years ago. More conflicts? Perhaps you were the common denominator, engaging. What about not engaging? What's the goal when you go to work? To be productive or to return home without feeling stressed? Hmm, both is a nice answer. But what means more to you? Whatever your job is, to feel productive like you did everything in your power. Or to reach the end of the day with enough energy left in the tank to give it to your family. To not have something irritate you. To the point where you just come home and you're in your head for the rest of the night and something bugs you and bothers you and you realize, I shouldn't have engaged. Not to say I've become more lenient. Maybe I have. Maybe that's it. Chill. I think I've cranked up my chill level. In my 20s and 30s, less chill. Now, hey, I'm chill. Look at me. I'm so chill. I read Chinese farmer proverbs. Maybe. 
Maybe not. Student does something defiant. A teenager does something rebellious. In that moment, do I put on my superhero cape and resolve everything? Hey, let's go outside. Here's discipline. Hey, let's call your parents and get your counselor involved and bring in a principal. Or do I just put the kid in a headlock and go, stop fucking with me. That's why Hollywood is constantly writing these movies. Bad teacher. Fed up teacher. Teacher on a mission. Just teachers doing some things that are a little unorthodox. I think these scripts are written by former teachers who just evolve. You start off, you go through all the protocols, you follow all of the proper rules. And then at some point you go, I'm not going to die on this hill. That's not even my term. I'm not going to die on this hill. I don't even totally know what it means. But one of my teacher friends said it about not playing whack-a-mole with each and every misbehaving teen you face every day. And if you stop playing whack-a-mole, whack-a-mole is like, I'm going to address every single situation that pops up today. I'm going to address everything that pops up today, and I'm going to save the day, and I'm going to direct everybody in a positive direction. No, sometimes you just have to gently overlook something, and it'll slowly go away. Because some people are ready to fight. Some people want that attention. You don't give them that attention. Some things just naturally Solve themselves. All right, I'm going to now Google something that I feel like I should have known, and that is not going to die on that hill. Not going to die on that hill. Figuratively. All right, here's Urban Dictionary popped up. It's a military expression referring to an issue that the speaker wants to address but recognizes it would be too much of a hassle to deal with. It's a metaphor for realizing that although you want to defend your hill from an attack, to do so would be suicidal given the much stronger enemy, and this particular hill isn't so vital that you should give up your life for it, so it's just best to retreat. I get it. I get it. I get it. I think it's the art of not feeling weak. As you back away from something. Maybe it's a strength. There we go. We finally got a point. It took this long, but maybe it's a strength to back away from something. Are you someone who's somewhat confrontational because you always feel like I got to stand up for myself? Is that you? I got to stand up for myself. I got to right this wrong. Okay. Now check your blood pressure. How's your heart rate? Is your hair falling out? Is your face wrinkled? Do you have heart palpitations? Because you're always enforcing your belief system. I know people like this. I know people like this. They're constantly engaging. They're ready to get into hot debates. Hot debates at all times. And then there's people like me. Here's, I think, what I'm becoming. I acknowledge you. I see you. Eh, not today. I got to go home and be totally present with a four-year-old and a four-month-old. Yeah, I'm not going to die on that hill. And if I'm not using the metaphor correctly, then I need a new metaphor. Send a metaphor to the text line at 56868, and I will credit the first person who chimes in. You know when you really see this? Family members. Everybody's got family members that they have fought with. You go toe-to-toe. Endless rounds. Sparring. Sparring. Endless sparring. What if you just stepped out of the ring? And made that person feel like they won. All right, you won. Who really wins as you go your own way? You can go your own way. Yeah. 
Ya bobbity beep bada bow. You can go your own wee. Add an R to that. Weer. You can go here and I heard Malcolm Gladwell interviewed. I was listening to the Pete Holmes podcast on my way into work. No rhythm. I like Pete. I kind of like Malcolm. But every question Pete was asking, Malcolm was too pensive. Well, huh. I could go in a few different directions to answer that question. What I, what I really want to say here is, guy's a great writer. I didn't find him to be a great interview. Pete Holmes is asking the questions and then getting so bored and impatient that he's starting to interject, which is the issue people have with bad interviewers. If we talk too much, we talk over our guests. I shouldn't say we, if they, I don't know. I've probably done some good interviews, bad interviews throughout my life, but the key is to let the source speak, let them speak. But I was on team Pete today, Pete Holmes interviewing the prolific journalist and writer, Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm's answers were not crisp. They were not smooth. They were not really informative. They were meandering. And you realize, oh, this guy has the luxury of a delete button. A lot of journalists, a lot of writers might not be great interviews on the air, even when you could edit out ums and you could edit out long silences. You could still tell Pete wanted so much out of this interview, but Malcolm wasn't giving him much. We've heard interviews like that where you get excited. Like I heard Smartless interviewing Jerry Seinfeld and it wasn't great. I was so excited. I was like, oh, here's Seinfeld. And they couldn't really get much out of him. And you wonder, whose fault is it? Is it Jerry or is it the interviewers? It's tough. It's tough to be a good interviewer. You got to press the right buttons. You got to know when to ease off the accelerator, ease off the gas pedal. You have to know when to interject some of your personal anecdotes and when to shut up, when to just shut up and let the source speak. But Malcolm, I'll just say right now, I don't get into him. It's like one of those things I feel like I'm missing out on. A lot of intellectual conversations. Have you read The Tipping Point? Yes. Well, you know, Malcolm Gladwell says when you work 24,000 hours at something, you become an expert. You know, Malcolm Gladwell once said, and I always want to go, oh, did Malcolm say that? And he's smart, and it's in a book, and he writes a lot of books. Fuck, can't get into it. I can't. I want to. I want to. We all have things like that. Movies that everyone loves and you're like, I don't get it. Singers that everyone loves and you're like, I don't get it. TV shows that everyone's talking about and you're like, it's just not grabbing me. That's Malcolm Gladwell. I listened to 45 minutes of this interview. I didn't get much out of it. However, he did start one of his answers. I was searching for insight. I was searching for knowledge. And he did start one of his answers with, well, if I could redo my life. And I thought, okay, stop right there. That's a good prompt. If you're listening right now, use that prompt to begin a thought, a thought. Go throughout your life. If you could redo your whole life, what are the first three things that come to mind? I'm going to give you a moment. What are the first three things that come to mind? I bet they stand out to you, right? You can redo your whole life. But here's the caveat. You can't say you wish another person would have done something differently. You're not in control of anybody else. You can't say, I get a redo in my life. Well, I would want this person to do less of that, and I would hope to never encounter that person. Nope, you're still you. They are still them. But a redo means maybe you made a few mistakes. What would you take back? So you can't wish another person would do things differently. And you also can't say, I'm fine with everything. Let's get rid of that. All right. I understand the mindset of you got to just accept everything you've ever done and be at peace with yourself. No, no, no. A lot of us are going to be living with a little remorse, a little regret. That's normal. So what about you can't say everything is fine. 
throughout my life, even if it brought you to right here, right now, and you're happy right now, I hope you're happy right now, but if it brought you to right here, right now, and you believe in serendipity and everything's meant to be philosophically, you can't change the past, fuck that. Let's change the past for a moment. Think of a few things. I know mine. I know mine. I'm going to get real specific. If I got a redo, um, I don't think I would have pushed my friends Kenny and Julie in the Marin Lagoon in eighth grade. I said it. I've never said it on the podcast, but I had good friends, Kenny and Julie. And I was at an eighth grade party at a rec center or a clubhouse. Eighth grade me. Oh, God, what a nightmare. Eighth grade anyone. Can you think of a worse age? You feel like you're on top because you're on top of a middle school, but you're 14. So you have all the confidence in the world but clearly at a point where you're going to make the worst decisions in your life, that's an ugly combo. I got all the confidence in the world, but my brain is telling me to do shitty things. I want to experiment with that. I want to say that. Ugh, rebellion. And if it doesn't happen at that age, it'll happen later in life. And if you still haven't rebelled, you're listening to this podcast, you still haven't rebelled, then you're about to explode one day. You're about to explode. I hope you've gotten it out of your system right now. Whoever I'm talking to right now, I hope it's out of your system. Mine? Yeah. It was in my system. Those years of angst. But yeah, it was nighttime at a lagoon party, and I don't know what got into me. I just pushed them in. Immediately, I wanted to press the rewind button. Immediately, I said, that's not good. And it turns out my friend Julie was scared of dark water. So I just created her nightmare for her. I just brought her her biggest fear on a platter. And the mom of the girl having a party kicked me out of the party. I was just walking home feeling so terrible, so shitty, so sad. Like, what did I do that for? Impulse moments. I pushed them in a dark lagoon at night. They were fully clothed. What's wrong with me? If I could redo my life. That's number one. I'd make sure they remained dry at that eighth grade party in 1995. And there's no, oh, be kind to yourself, Josh. Hey, be gentle with yourself. You were 14. You were in eighth grade. No, that's still some criminal behavior. Pushing friends in a dark lagoon. You shouldn't do it. This is a PSA. Now, if it's daytime and you're at a pool, that mentality, you're still a jerk. But if you push friends in a pool and they're fully clothed and you don't, they don't have their phone in their pocket or a wallet in their pocket, if you know all of those things, you're still a piece of shit. But hey, it's okay. It's okay. You don't have to live that regret into your 40s. Number two. Would have tried harder in school. I'll just say it right now. When I see kids going for those 4.0 GPAs, trying their hardest to get the best test scores, thinking about college applications already. By age 15, 16, they're thinking about college. I know it could be too much pressure. It could be tunnel vision. But I actually get a little jealous of that because I'll never know. Could I have been a 4.0 student? I was always around, you know, 34 Enough to get to San Diego State. And back then, enough to get to San Diego State was not like the greatest thing. Nowadays, I think you do need like a 3.8, 3.9, 4.0 to get to San Diego State. But back then, it was viewed as a party school. You just have a 3.3, 3.4 GPA. You get in. They'll take you. But I would love to know if I could redo. What if I tried hard? Was I very, very smart? Well, if you're going to allow GPAs and letter grades to dictate how we feel about ourselves, then that one kind of stays with me. I'd say even through high school, middle school, high school, college, I think I turned it around. And then when I got my teaching degree, then I really discovered I love learning. And then I was getting all A's. And hey, everyone celebrate me because look at me, a lifelong learner. I'm doing great. But this mindset I currently have did not exist. 
when I was going through the many stages of public school. Instead, it was clearly, flirt, flirt, make the class laugh. On the weekends, find a way to get some booze. Flirt, flirt, make the class laugh. Thoughts of the Warriors, thoughts of comedy, thoughts of rap. Flirt, flirt, get some booze. I'm going more into, you know, senior year college at this point, but if people ask me, hey, how was San Diego State? It's not like I go, well, you're going to love the journalism program. Some of my favorite professors really, no, my memories are so far beyond the classroom. I do have to say, I envy those kids, those bookworms who are aspiring to get those high GPAs. And sure, maybe there's some of those bookworms that are envying, envying? Doesn't sound right. One of those words that just doesn't sound right in this moment. Envious of the slacker? No, that's too that's too harsh of a word. I wasn't such a slacker. Just my priorities out of whack. I still wanted to get the diploma. Still wanted to achieve and succeed. But once I was on the playing field, yeah, it's safe to say my interest veered. Zigged, zagged. 40 ounces to freedom. I'll get the diploma on my own time. Five, six, seven years. I'll get the diploma. And then the other thing, I wrote down a few things. You could redo your life. Don't push those friends in the dark water. Try a little harder in the classroom. See, maybe you were a 4.0 mind. You'll never know. (gasps) He'll never know. And the third is, I wish I learned about meditation earlier in life. It would have been a game changer. Had I learned about meditation as an eighth grader, let me just go back to eighth grade. I think my life would have been a little different. I don't even know how deep I want to explore that. But I just think the lessons of mindful meditation are so important. You have a lot of people discovering meditation in their 30s, 40s, 50s, which is weird. This old Buddhist practice should absolutely be implemented in our learning. It shouldn't be I had a hippie family member who gave me a John Kabat-Zinn book. It shouldn't be that. It shouldn't be I had to go to a therapist because my life was in total disarray and they recommended focusing on my breathing. It should be, yeah, in eighth grade, we took a class called Mindful Meditation. And what did we do? We meditated. We learned the importance of being present and that this moment is all we have. I think meditation is like a good drug. Like I need it. I need it. I'm dependent because I can tell if I don't meditate for a few days. uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I'm on edge, pal. But that's not too bad. Not too many other regrets if I get a redo. When I was wallowing with those thoughts, woe is me, if only this was different, if only this went another way. And I think my wife would hear me say some things like this and she'd go, look, look around. You see these kids? They only exist in this form because of all the decisions you made that led you up to this moment. So it's true, we can all do the maybe. Maybe. So when the mighty 1090 fired me and replaced me with the Jim Rome show and I was like, hey, uh, any more paychecks? And they were like, sorry, and no more paychecks. I found out I was laid off in the newspaper. Those coward bosses I had, they didn't even tell me. I was reading the San Diego Union Tribune and I found out, oh, my show's been bounced, got the axe, came into work holding the newspaper. The program director just slowly nodded and said, yeah, yeah, it's a true story. So they leaked it. Someone leaked it to the newspaper. I don't know. But in that moment, as I walked to my car with Sherrod for the last time and said, all right, bye, maybe bye San Diego. It could have felt like the end of the world. It could have felt terrible, but the classic, maybe, maybe not. Maybe so, maybe not. Because it led me 
to eventually move back to the Bay Area, discover this great world of teaching, discover this great wife, and have these great kids. So I can't go back in time and say, oh, I wish I meditated earlier. I'm saying it now, but what if I did? Maybe I would just be in West Marin, further west in Marin, long hair, in a robe, married to an old yoga instructor with really gray hair who smells like patchouli oil, drinking our yerba mate, yerba mate every morning. And we would hate each other, but we'd be so committed to meditation that it would help our relationship. But it wouldn't be my current wife. If I was a meditator earlier in life, mm-mm. I would have been too calm. I would have been calm enough to have a successful marriage with a gray-haired yogi who smells like patchouli. And guess what, folks? I don't like patchouli oil. I hate it. I hate that smell. Walking into a head shop on Haight Street. No thanks to that smell. Not into it. And this whole tried harder in school. Tried harder? Then what? Then maybe instead of San Diego State, where would I be? Stanford? And would that have been better? No, I would have had to join Lambda, Lambda, Lambda. And that nerd frat didn't get any respect, at least the first 80% of the movie. I would have always wanted to be with Stan Gable in the Alphas. So maybe the next time something shitty happens, let that word float into your mind. Let that word float into your mind. The next time you feel like something really bad happens, or the next time you get pissed, do a little personal check-in. Is this awful? Is this awful? And the answer has to be maybe. Maybe so, maybe not. It could be. But there's also a chance that this will be a learning experience or it could propel you on a new path that feels a little more your speed, your flavor. Find your identity. I don't know if this episode got anywhere. Here's the self-reflection portion of the podcast. I don't know. I hope so. The last thing I was going to say is, last night I was watching the Warriors beat the shit out of the Nets. Oh, it felt so good. Usually I don't like blowouts. Usually I like a close game. I like drama. I like overtime. I like buzzer beaters. I like it when it's really intense all the way to the end. But watching the Warriors beat up on the Nets, on Kevin Durant's Brooklyn Nets, oh, it was euphoric. But I noticed, as the game is going, the amount of entertainment on the side of the court. And I know this is New York, but this is pro sports today. It's not just the NBA. It's Major League Baseball. It's the NFL. Fans pay good money for a ticket, but we're conditioning young fans to be distracted. That's what's happening. It's not just a halftime show. Every little stoppage, some DJ is going to address the crowd. Who wants to come on the court right now for a dance-off? It's like a 20-second timeout. The National Anthem is a total production. It's a total production. It's a 20-minute production. There's endless amenities around the arenas, around the stadiums, around the ballparks. And I know the food is better than ever, and that's fine. That's fine. I guess they're trying to make it worth the price of admission if it's expensive to go to a game. But what you're going to have is kids. This is just my guess. A lot of kids are going to come home, and if someone says, how was the game, maybe they could tell you who won. Maybe not. But they could tell you about the Dippin' Dots, and they could tell you about the Circus Act after the third quarter. They could tell you about the Jumbo Slide. They could tell you about all the festivities beyond the center field wall. They could tell you about the parade right in front of the arena. 
They can tell you about the fireworks display. And it all sounds good, right? Because that's what we're trying to do for our kids. Give them the best experience ever. We're even planning, you know, a birthday party or how to celebrate a birthday for a kid. What are you planning? We're like, should we hire a princess, get 17 pinatas, have someone bring professional industrial-sized bubbles, get all the ponies? I mean, we're not doing all this. But I think it's just us. I think it's us, the adults, who are trying to make everything so stimulating at all times. We don't let a moment breathe. We're so scared of boredom. We're so scared of a bad game where fans just have to sit in their seat and continue watching it. I think modern-day pro sports owners, they're concerned. Well, if it's a bad game and we don't have all the bells and whistles and glitter and glamour and bedazzle the shit out of that crowd, well, they're going to leave upset and never buy another ticket. Well, I remember as a kid, I only cared about sitting in my seat, the duration of the game. I don't even want a bathroom break. I don't need any entertainment. I don't need a halftime show. I just want to stare at that court or stare at that field. And I know I was a natural sports fan, but still, are we cultivating sports fans anymore? What I'm seeing is less and less. There's less and less kids, at least at the high school I teach at, that could legitimately have a smart sports discussion. Some of them get excited if it's like the World Series or the Finals or the Super Bowl. They can talk a little bit about it. But what about the fan who will be a fan of a team throughout an entire season, read the box score, know the players, know the stats? I don't think we're cultivating those anymore. I don't think the young sports fan, the pure young sports fan who collected those cards, who watched SportsCenter, who read the articles, not just the tweets of the headlines, but who read the actual articles, listened to the radio shows. Those kids, dying breed. Not going to die on that hill. Dying breed. If I were to take my little girl to a Warriors game today, first of all, that's probably what? A couple of tickets, 500 bucks for terrible seats. Okay. How many times would we get up? To just go experience something. And I'm not even saying it's her fault or it's because of her. Is it because of me? Am I now conditioned that this is the in-game experience? Hey, we'll watch a little bit. Then we'll go here. Then we'll watch a little bit. Then we'll go there. Oh, you can't miss that. You can't miss that. And oh, it's time for more Dippin' Dots. I think I'll say it. I'll say the most dramatic thing I'm going to say this whole podcast. I don't like Dippin' Dots. I don't like them. Just give me a scoop of French vanilla. Yes, with a little vanilla bean flakes in it. Flakes? Bean flakes? What are they? Little bean chips? Bean specks? Isn't that the best flavor? Name a better flavor. You can't do it, can you? Okay, we're done. Uh, That'll do it. I I meant to go stronger in the paint, harder in the paint this episode, but I think the next one, I think I'm just working my way up to a good one. That's called suspense. That's called a tease for the next episode. If you like this one, thank you. Leave a rating on iTunes. I appreciate you. But if you listen to the whole thing, and you're like, oh, he was about to get somewhere and he didn't get somewhere. He kind of sounded like Malcolm Gladwell just stumbling all over himself, dribbling a little pee into his boxers the whole episode. No, 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 no. The next one. So this one is called 163. That's a highway in San Diego. Just take the 163 North. Some people don't say the before the highway. They just say take 163 North. I always say the. Take the 101 South. Do you say the or do you just say the number? Yeah, you take the 8 West, then get on the 15, and then, yeah, just find the 94. Some people say, take 101. I say, take the 101. What do you say? You never thought about it? Ask yourself right now. Have a conversation. If you could redo your life, what would you do? Pick three things, and they can't involve anybody else. All right, that's episode 162. It's in the books, folks. I'll talk to you soon.